caminan por España, va el Madrid con su bandera. Hello and welcome to um, Real Madrid Weekly. Uh, this is uh, our first podcast after a week-long break due to some server hosting issues. So if you do own a server or a hosting company for podcasts, give us a call if you'd like to sponsor us. We're currently in the market. Um, and with that, I'm happy to introduce my co-host for the evening, or for the, I guess, evening for Mark and uh, morning for Corey, uh, mm-hmm. both those guys from realmadridfootballblog.com. How's it going, guys? better yeah not too good <laughs> i wonder why I, I i can't fathom it um you know i uh I, i'm i have to say it was a pretty somber weekend over here in, in spain and i you know i have to say I, I was very psyched by um by the way the game started and of course we're talking about the classical and that's pretty much what we're going to be talking about on today's show uh and uh then everything you know kind of went downhill starting in more or less the second half um so why don't you give us uh you know Corey, why don't you go ahead and start why don't you give us your um kind of thoughts in brief about the about the match um i really wanted to highlight some player performances specifically um i'll let mark take care of the tactics um i thought last had a great game um i thought he really screened the defense well and when he was on the ball, I think he was most impressive. He played it simple, but he always seemed to make the right pass in playing it simple. And I was really impressed with him. He looked like the last that we bought a couple of seasons ago, not the one that was just kind of running around the field following just for the sake of doing that. Um, and I, I, I'm glad because he's taken a lot of stick recently. Uh, I'd say in the past probably year he's taken a lot of stick. is not being up to snuff and he was when we first got him. I don't know what happened. Maybe it was Pellegrini, how he used him. It changed his game. Um, but he looked good. I thought Di Maria was excellent. I'd say he was probably our man of the match. He was everywhere. Um, I was very nervous. He looked like he pulled his groin um, early in the game, but he seemed to be fine and kept running around. Um, still not perfect with the final ball, but he, he was really um, energetic. and I think that really helped. Um, I would say my flop of the match would go to Cristiano Ronaldo. I thought he had a uh, very poor game. Um, what he did do was miss clear chances to put his team ahead. And uh, as I had said on, on the podcast, we weren't able to put out to the, the public last week. Um, we've seen him, you know, step up during every game but the Clasicos. Uh, he scored a goal in the Copa del Rey final. That's really been it for him in the Clasico. And he's played in God knows how many now, probably what, double digits by now. Um, he has yet to really stamp his authority on this match, whereas his sort of contemporary rival, Messi, seems to dominate this kind of match. So, again, very, very disappointing for Ronaldo um, in, in this game. Yeah. Um, Mark, do you have anyone else that you would want to point out? Because I totally agree with you, Corey, on, obviously on Cristiano and then on – I thought Angel Di Maria was really good also. Uh, that was definitely would have yeah. been my standout player. But, Cor- uh, Mark, do you have anything to, uh, to add? Karim Benzema, I, I would have to say. I thought, I mean, of course, it's easy to, it seems like a cut-out to, to uh, you know, give praise to Karim Benzema. I mean, he scored uh, after 22 seconds, but I thought he looked lively out there. And somehow, when he received the ball, I felt that he, um, it's it's not one of those lost boys kind of situation where he receives the ball and he's quite sure what, what, what he's going to do. Where every time he received the ball, he quite, uh, it was clear to him which pass to make, uh, which run to make, and um, I mean, of course, we would have wanted to see him, you know, do something uh, more than just the the, the goal that opened the game. Not that it wasn't enough, I suppose, but 
Um, I thought he, he looked quite bright, and um, I thought also the fact that he played a full 90 minutes uh, is indicative of um, you know what Mourinho thought about his performance uh, last Saturday. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Actually, one of the one of my um, one of my co or one of my colleagues uh, mentioned in uh, one of one of our wrap up articles that it, one of the I think that and I totally agreed with this that this this game kind of solidified Kareem Benzema as the as as an absolute top flight striker. I thought he looked fantastic and and he was just everywhere and not just on the offensive end, but he was pressing. Uh, he he arguably was one of the main people that forced the goal, the first goal. Even though he scored it, he also was definitely up there pressing perfectly. Uh, and I th- I was really surprised by him. I'm not surprised, excuse me, but more like very impressed and very confident that now going forward we can really trust in him for these big games. Um, on the other side of the pitch, uh, did you feel like there were any standouts, positive and negative, for Barcelona? Uh, I thought Alexis was pretty good. I thought he did a, a really good job um, sort of playing off of Messi um, using the space Messi created, uh, it was pretty effective. Um, he certainly got uh, kicked quite a few times by Pepe, who I thought had a pretty bad game too. And I think, as Mark was going to say, Puyol was excellent. Um, yet again, he never seems to let, he might let the man go past him, but he never lets the ball go past him. It seemed like every time he was pulled out wide, he blocked the cross or blocked a shot. Um, and what was interesting is when Puyol kind of pulled out wide in that three-man defense with Elvis pushed further forward um, because we were playing with one striker, um, PK, you could see, was almost, uh, I'd say, parallel with him, but probably 10 yards deeper in the box so that if Puyol did by chance miss that ball, PK would have, like, the easiest read on it to clear it. I thought that was um, interesting. And, again, showed kind of how Guardiola has taken some of the ideas of uh, Marcelo Bielsa um, into mind when, in this season with using his his kind of three man defense. Yeah, that, that, I, I thought so too. I um, you know, I have to say that when I was watching uh, Alexis, uh, I was a little bit worried uh, because he he used to be one of my favorite players in the entire world, and I really did feel like there were a few very important and very obvious flops from him and, and rolling around and screaming and, and whining. And admittedly, some of them really he was clipped. Uh, but yeah. I have to say, I wasn't, I wasn't impressed by, by the amount of acting that was on his part. And it's something that I don't remember seeing from him very much at other times, but I might just be wrong about that. Um, do you, do you, I know that you watched Alexis uh, a lot before, right, Corey? Uh, um, yes, yes. And is this, that's not a part of his game, right? Um. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's, it's part of it, as much a part of his game as it is Di Maria's. It's something that fans would like to either see gone or just have to be ready to ignore. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's indicative of the South American game. And certainly with Alexis moving to Italy, where that sort of thing is also sort of tolerated, I would say, I don't think it's certainly um, been stamped out yet. Same with Di Maria, though. You've seen less of it from Di Maria this season. I'm mm-hmm. sure we'll see less of it from Alexis as the season goes on. Because, to be honest, besides Busquets, uh, Xavi doesn't roll around on the ground. Iniesta doesn't roll around. Messi doesn't even seem to stay on the ground for two seconds. He gets hacked down. He stands right back up, which is I think is applaudable. So I think he'll see that, and he'll, he'll kind of shy away from that. It's, that's I feel like that's an immature thing that younger players do. And as they get older, they sort of move away from that. And, he, of course, he's still very young. I think he'll he'll shake it off. Yeah, totally. I, I think that we can agree that the – I mean, I, I, actually, I'm not sure who we would agree on for the standout of the match on, in terms of Barcelona. At least for me, uh, 
sure, Leo Messi created the first goal, but actually I thought he had a pretty quiet night. Uh, for me, the, the man of the match for Barca was Iniesta, who I thought was just brilliant. Um, and I don't know if you guys disagree or you know, want to shout out for someone else, but uh, I thought Iniesta was definitely definitely picked it up for them. Unfortunately, obviously. I'm not happy about it. Well, I thought I, 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 my opinion goes uh, uh, same as what Corey said. I'm going with Alexis and maybe Puyol in, in second. Uh, I thought Iniesta was effective in the second half. He had a few good plays, but I... I'm not. I'm not quite on board with what uh, so many people are out there saying. I suppose you gave you one of them who, who who really believe that Iniesta, you know, uh, had you know a cracker of a game. I'm hmm. not quite in that camp. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, obviously Barcelona as a team had a had, did play a pretty good game, especially yeah. in the second half. Uh, and and they did, um, you know, despite some of the luck, which I think we can get into in a little bit. Uh, they did play a very good game. I, I just thought, I think that in my, my brief little notes on it, I just thought that, you know, there was they weren't clearly better than, than Madrid for most of the game. And really what, what it came down to was, you know, uh, you know uh, a couple of brilliant moments of skill, obviously from, from Messi and Alexis, uh, a couple of missed opportunities, uh, and then that one, you know, little lucky, uh, lucky dribbler, which is really, really deflating and really brutal for Madrid. Because, sure, Barcelona came out pressing at the beginning of the second half, but that doesn't necessarily mean they were going to score. I, I think uh, Fabio Contral is going to get a, a ton of lashing in training this week. Um, it was completely his fault for that third goal. He <clears throat> had pushed high up the pitch and was trying to make a tackle. I believe it was on Zabi. He slid in, missed the ball, didn't, didn't hit Zabi, but you could see as he got up to run back into position, he sort of yelled at himself, got very frustrated, sort of flopped his arms around. And in that brief lapse of, of concentration, he wasn't able to get back in time to defense the ball against Sesk, and Sesk was able to score the header on the back post. Um, I think that's kind of indicative of um, sort of uh, the loss of morale in the team in the second half as opposed to Barcelona really stepping up their game. I think they were pretty consistent throughout I think Real's game went from very good in the first to very poor in the second. Yeah, that's a, that's well, a good point. Go ahead, Corey. To defend Pantal uh, a bit, uh, I thought you know he he was decent as as a as a right back from the considering the fact that he's left. I mean, he's naturally uh, left footed and he's naturally comfortable on the left side. Um, I thought that I mean it's probably only his second time playing right back. I I can. For Real Madrid, I probably count it's his only second time playing at right back. And uh, apart from that mistake, I felt that he was decent in just holding that position uh, on, on the right side, um, at least defending. I felt that maybe he, he lacked that kind of dimension of uh, pushing forward and giving us width from, from the right side. I mean, we've always known that we played more conservatively on the right side, even when Ramos was there or if Alvedo was there. I mean, it was always be a more, our more conservative wing. And uh, Contao was totally absent uh, in terms of giving that width, that wing presence, because he, I didn't find him, you know, crossing the halfway line uh, enough times to... to, to Function. But for the most part, I thought that he was, you know, he was so so. I mean, he, he I, I wouldn't really call him out to say that he had a stinker of a game. But I mean, in, in that sense, it's also, uh, we have to look in, in uh, Mourinho's way and, you know, you know, how come you basically pick a natural left back who's only played right back uh, once before this game to play right back in this super crucial game? Uh, to me, that's a, that's a question that deserves to be asked. 
Uh, I agree. Um, now, I, I, I suppose we can jump into the tactics part now. Uh, do you, there must have been an injury to Arbelo. Like the Arbelo injury must have just been too severe, right? That's that's mm. the that's the you know, yes. at least the basic one. Um, yes, I'd assume so. I'd, I'd assume so, right? It has to be yeah, right. Well, well, Mourinho did mention that uh, Arbelo was not fit for the game, and that he said, uh, but that Arbelo would have come into the game if he was needed for maybe another twenty to twenty-five minutes. So I think you know, based on that, I think uh, it's. Mourinho essentially accepting that, you know, Arbelo is a no-go for this game and we'll probably only use him in the event of an absolute emergency. And I suppose um, going down, you know, 1-3 at that point in time, there was not much of a point to send him in because, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, earlier in the week, Mourinho had come out and said that we were going to play a 4-3-3. Uh, and essentially, you, and, and essentially made it a given that there would be a last Kadira Alonso trivet. Uh, and I, I just wonder uh, whether maybe, and this is just uh, just speculation on my part, whether actually that wasn't some sort of trick that he he really did think we were going to come out with a four three three until he realized how bad Arbeloa's injury was, and then had to adjust the entire game plan. I just wonder if that was just a little bit of. Mis- misreading of the medical report on Arbeloa from Mourinho, or just kind of banking on him getting better, and actually it wasn't just it wasn't like an like a tricky kind of move to throw Barca off of our pay, uh, you know off of our uh, off of his his tracks, so to speak. Um, I, I just well, I wondered about that. Well, I think that yeah, there is that definitely that there is definitely that dimension because you know Quadrado can play. Uh, he can play as a central midfielder. And I thought that uh, when I saw that Kigira was on the bench, uh, and of course he scored within 22 seconds, I was basically saying to myself, you know, the Mourinho was quite clever because um, if he wanted to, like in the Copa, uh, the Super Copa, where it, he essentially, I thought, played for the most part, he played 4 2 3 1 as well. And I thought we gave Barcelona a run for their money uh, playing that 4 2 3 1. So, I always felt that to play that way, where you're basically pressing them uh, at the very, very key areas of the pitch, particularly, I suppose, that three-quarters mark, which is on their side of the pitch, I thought that that was not, not sustainable for 90 minutes. So I, when I saw Kinero on the bench, and by that time, Benzema scored, I was like, kind of like saying, hey, this Mourinho guy is quite smart, because if he, he has taken fatigue into account. He's probably assuming that these guys, one of these guys, need to get subbed out at some point in the second half. He can throw in a fresh pair of super energetic legs in Kadira into the game and still keep the energy and the momentum going. And, um, well, of course, uh, the moment Pep made his adjustments, to me, maybe that should have been Mourinho. And the side effects of Pep's adjustments of, you know, playing that, uh, what looked to me like a 3-1-4-2 or or something to that effect, you know, when he started to choke up the midfield, to me, and we started to see the side effects of Barcelona pushing the zone of play closer and closer to our side of the pitch, I felt that maybe Mourinho should have taken that as a cue to send in Kedira and um, in place of, let's say, someone like Osil and uh, try to at least, you know, get a few back, uh, get another pair of uh, legs to help, you know, uh, help out in that little battle going on in the midfield, which we were clearly losing. Yeah, I I wondered about that. Um, in, in terms of the he he made that very uh, I thought very well <clears throat> maybe too late substitution of Kadira after Lasp received the yellow card and we were already pretty much done. 
Uh, and Kadira came on and he really put some order onto the pitch that we really needed. And I thought he looked great. So I just, I kind of ruined a little bit his decision to, to wait on Kadira, who, who really did seem to step up for the little time that he was on the pitch. Um, Isn't that sort of the pattern with Mourinho is his substitutions are always too late? I mean, even in, in a game against like Ajax, he throws Pedro Mendes on in the 85th minute. What is the where is the value in that? Where what is he learning by playing for five or six minutes? Uh, it always amazes me that he's so reticent to to send players onto the field in the second half as substitutions, and he probably will complain about fatigue. But he never rotated his squad to begin with. So when you had a midweek match before the the Classico, and you played Arbeloa, and then he ends up not being fit. Um, you know, the next weekend against uh, Sporting, and you can't play him in, uh, against uh, against Barcelona. It's like, well, that's your own fault. You, you should have rotated better throughout the season, um, and, and you should use your substitutions a little more wisely. You should have reacted to the changes a little quicker. It's really, I think, there's a lot to be said about how Mourinho handled this game, and I don't think he came away with flying colors, to be honest. You know, I, I thought I thought Mourinho failed uh, failed this test miserably. I think. He's, he's as culpable, he's as culpable, and he is just, uh, in, with regards to this game, and that's not, and I'm, I'm saying this uh, while still holding my belief that he is probably still the best club coach slash manager in the world alongside Ferguson. Uh, I say this while still believing that, but I felt that he choked uh, last Saturday just as big time as Ronaldo did, you know. Um, he didn't read the game right, he didn't make the adjustments on the fly, and that's the shocking part, because um, living in a country that's crazy about the premiership, I was essentially a witness to you know the kind of uh, coaching and management that Mourinho uh, implemented when he was in Chelsea. And he was always known as that guy, that guy who made that substitution that really changed the game when the chips were down for his team. And we've seen it, him do it quite a few times as well for, for Real Madrid. Uh, I didn't follow him in Inter, but I've seen him do it quite a few times for Real Madrid. And even in drastic situations where we're losing the game, we're down to 10 men. And he gets, I've seen him, you know, make substitutions and changes on the game and the game uh, to turn the thing around. But um, last Saturday, he, he he just, you know, he you know he didn't bring the A game. He just totally choked. And I thought it was a really big mistake on his part. I mean, the Kedira coming on was not really so much as a as wanting to change tactics, it was just a like-for-like substitution, just to make sure we didn't lose any man, you know, we didn't go down to 10 men, because last already had a yellow card by then, and Tabi Alonso already had a yellow card, and of course there was no way he was going to get rid of Jeff, uh, he's going to sub out Tabi Alonso, so he sub last out just to make sure that, you know, we have a, a midfielder out there who can tackle and who can afford to get a yellow card. And so it's still not, to me, uh, an adjustment in a way to respond to Pep to change the tactics, but he was still essentially insisting that uh, that four two three one could, could turn the thing around for us, and I thought you know that was a big mistake. Yeah, I, I have to say, as someone who is ardently pro Mourinho and pro Mourinho for everything that he's done for the club, changing the institutional culture, changing the culture of the players. Oh, I it's it's you can't, I find this game pretty indefensible and and for for all the reasons that you mentioned also because I actually feel very uh very ardently about um the uh the press the, the Madrid press the Mourinho press that we saw in the Supercopa and you know the fact is that the press 
resulted in the first goal. It was it wasn't luck so much as that we know that Victor Valdez has a really hard time when he's forced uh, with pressure and with good defense, like good offensive defense. If that yeah. makes sense to get the ball out, he has a lot of trouble, and most of the time he boots it. Some of the times he tries to pass it anyways, and it goes right to someone. This is a common thing with Victor Valdez. If you can just and I felt like he abandoned the press and only came back to it in within the last maybe ten minutes of the match after the first goal. That is and. I, I I was really disappointed, and I understand that you know he he probably had some concerns over fitness, but I feel like at that point you just run run your guys, and when they have to come out, you just start subbing, and you go do you do all three subs maybe within ten minutes, and then you just get them out, and you keep pressing. Uh, I, I was very unfortunate, and maybe you guys disagree with that particular point, but I thought the press was well, was very good. I mean, you can't you can't press the entire game. You're, you're going to wear your team out, which is. That's that's fine, but you're right. I mean, I think he sort of he kind of I won't say set up shop, but he got a little. Seems like he had his team get, or maybe the team itself, and he had no control over. Got a tad complacent because they had scored already. And yes. The most dangerous lead to have is a lead within the first like twenty minutes of the game because you then you have you know a you know, further sixty minutes to hold on to it. It's really uh, a tricky spot to be in. So to be in the lead in the first minute of the game is. It's certainly not ideal, I think. Um, but what I would like to say, and I think it's very possible to criticize Mourinho for his tactics and for his setup and for this game and, and certain things that he does and still be a fan of him. Uh, I'm, I've been won over by the guy. I, I like him. He's not nearly as defensive as I thought I would be. thought he would be, excuse me. And, um, but that being said, he was too rigid in, in his, what he had planned for this game. He was unable to adjust, and I think that shows a weakness in his his coaching and, and his character. That he's so dead set in, in what he thinks is going to win the game. That when Guardiola, who I wouldn't say is a, a flop flip flopper, he'll, he'll change his mind a lot. But he will he will change his mind if he feels impulsive enough. Um, he able he's been able to outsmart Mourinho just by making mid game changes. And Mourinho has no other option. It's like there's no plan B sometimes. You know, what if Guardiola goes to a three-man defense? What would you do then? It, it didn't seem like um, they figured that out until he put Higuain on it. And the game was already out of reach. It was already 3-1. to one. So uh, I, I find that kind of interesting in that he's considered one of the best coaches in the world, yet he's routinely being um, outsmarted by seemingly a better coach. Ah, I see that. I find that one hard. Uh, that, just because I, I'm not buying. I'm like, I'm not sure that uh, it's sometimes. I mean, obviously, a lot of his, this because we're not. We're seeing a very different tune. If uh, because this one I did feel like was a little bit, um, you know, un, you know, unlucky for Mourinho in that you know it did seem like his diagram was working for the first thirty minutes. Then we get yes. that brilliant bit of skill, which is fine. We expect those from Barcelona. But then I, I felt like uh, he came back. I think the only time that I would really criticize him in a deep way is not making a tactical adjustment in the at the beginning of the second half when things started to be, go badly uh, uh, because Barcelona was really pressing high up the pitch, and that's where I would fault him. I wouldn't say that he necessarily was outsmarted by Pep. I just think that Pep probably said, all right, we're going to press higher, which actually taking Mourinho's strategy and applying it to Madrid, press higher, move the ball higher and faster. Uh, and, and he just, you know, didn't the the one moment in the game that really turned everything was the little bounced goal the, the little bounced goal and that was uh 
for me, that was when that was when he needed to react and he didn't. And that's where I would fail Mourinho for this game. Not necessarily in being outsmarted by Pep, but just in his reaction to the lucky goal. I don't know. Well, the, the other thing maybe about Mourinho, just so that we can, well, at least for me, I don't, you guys can continue managing him. Maybe just, just for me, just maybe, um, you know, the, the liberating aspect of, of what we saw last Saturday was uh, a Mourinho who, you know, he waited up. I want to just call him out in a positive way for waiting for Pep to turn up in the town to shake his hand, uh, going over to Tito Villanova to shake his hand and, you know, you know, uh, welcome him back in, into the world of football. Um, he, you know, uh, in, in a sense, kind of snubbed the press pre-match, but, you know, he decided that, no, I'm not going to send my assistant to, you know, uh, face the, the vultures uh, for, for this loss. I'm going to face them myself. And I thought that the the tone of his press conference, I'm not sure if it was earlier or today or if it was yesterday, uh, heading into tonight's Copa del Rey match, I thought, you know, where he kind of... Um, he had fighting words, I think, essentially, and you know, uh, and he he came out strong, and I thought that, that the posture, but by, by which he is, you know, moving on from this game is it's a it's a far more positive Mourinho than you know what we probably could have expected from him, you know, uh, towards the end of last season or at the beginning of the season with the Supercopa. So, I mean, in that sense, I I think that serves praise in a, in, in a way that he's trying to turn the page and. You know, maybe looking forward for the next five, you know, to the next five months and the build up to, to the next classical. Huh. I see, I agree with that, Mark. With that. And I'm, I'm glad to see that because he even said himself before the game and had his players saying it to the press this is just another game. That's true. In the grand scheme of the league, this is just one game in many. But to the fans, this is a very important game and a game that they yeah. want you to win. They expect you to win. So being unable to do that upsets many fans. Now, Again, I don't have an axe to grind, but I do think when you saw an increased pressing game from Barcelona is when they switched to that three-man defense. Danny Alves was pushed into the midfield almost. So you had Abidal, Pique, Puyol as three center backs. They had more more players in the midfield. They sort of overwhelmed their midfield, but easier pressing higher up the field. That's what created, not the second goal. second goal was a bit of luck, sure, but... The third goal was certainly a high-pressing game. And I think Mourinho was not able to counteract that quickly enough. Mm -hmm. The easiest way to get to unravel a three-man defense is to play two strikers. He did not push Cristiano Ronaldo high up the field to partner Benzema, nor did he bring Antiguin to put two natural strikers on. And I think that was probably the main mistake, because that would have forced Pep to put Danny Alves back to the four-man defense, and then the pressing game would have been as effective. Yeah, I agree. That and uh, switching to the—I mean, that and that's—you know—switching uh, to a four-three-three, which becomes a four-five-one on defense. Uh, it, it's the other option, but uh, and that's what we—I kind of expected him to play from the get-go with the two Trivote system. But that's fine. I mean, I—I I, I agree, and I, I totally think that uh, it—it's it, possible that given Cristiano's form now, this is a, a topic that's been kind of popping up a lot on managing Madrid. Uh, do you sub Cristiano Ronaldo uh, towards the middle of the second half, or you let him play it out? Uh, I think in this game you keep him, but I, I don't understand why he's sort of an untouchable, unsubable player in other games. Uh, just like any other player, he needs his rest. He, he might be a, you know, a physical specimen that he can he probably could play 50 games a season, um, but I don't think that's necessarily needed in such a large squad. Um, this game, I think he probably should have stayed out there, um, despite his sort of poor performance. He is still a leader of the team. 
But I, I would have liked to have seen him taken off in, in you know five or six games this season. That mm-hmm. the game was won, and he really didn't have much to do, and we could have you know given someone else playing time. And that maybe affects his, his form in, in the long run of the season because he's played too many minutes. You just have to wonder about that, though, right? Because, I mean, that's kind of what I'm worried about with Xabi Alonso also and all his minutes. That's another it? example. Exactly. It's, it's worrisome. It's, you know, it, it's hard to imagine players being able to do, you know, exert this kind of physical, uh, the, the amount of physical pressure on their body for an entire season and really come out even like two-thirds of the way through looking okay and, uh, and much less after a full season. I, and much has been made of uh, Pep Guardiola's fitness plan that a lot of Barca fans say peaks in around November or December and then uh, kind of stays high and then re-peaks or goes down a little bit, then peaks again in March. Uh, do you think that this is at all to, you know, because they tend, you tend to see Barcelona have their worst results at the beginning of the year followed by another period of lower results uh, around January. Do you think this is a... Uh, Normal fitness plan, just that everyone does it, or do you think that uh, do you do you think that this might be actually partially to blame? Where Mourinho, because of the way Madrid has played so well, it actually brings them into the Clasico at almost a fitness disadvantage. Well, I don't take it as a, a fitness disadvantage. No, well, first of all, I want to say that one hundred percent I agree with uh, everything Corey just said about Cristiano Ronaldo uh, with regards to being substituted. I thought that um, she was having a stinker of a game. He was choking up, up but. Uh, a guy of his caliber should be left to the game just in case he he has that one, you know, Copa del Rey final-like right. moment, you know, left in him. And, you know, I think with regards to players like Xavi Alonso, I think, for Real Madrid at least, uh, my opinion is that we cease to function properly without Xavi Alonso, and I think that's where Rudy Sahin is so important. But since he is still just recovering from the injury, in, in many ways... Um, you know, we probably still don't have a choice but to keep playing Xavi Alonso. Um, I do expect that maybe once Sahin is up to speed with the way we are playing and, you know, he gets his physical and match fitness back, that maybe hopefully we can, you know, see Xavi see Alonso get, you know, get the required rest. Xavi Alonso is, 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 I think, 30 years old and, um, you know, a, a player is, has probably reached his absolute limit uh, as a physically uh, you know, at, at that particular age, so he will need to start resting. I think, with regards to you know, p- you know, uh, peace and values with regards to fitness, I think it's much more applicable for a squad like Barcelona because they have such a small squad. And um, you know, when you want to play a team wherein you, you, there's not really a scenario where you can rest, you know, guys like Xavi Hernandez and Iniesta and things like that. The moment you pull one of the you pull one of those guys out of their, their their lineup, then all of a sudden everything just drops. But for and perhaps you can say the same with, with Real Madrid, but for example, when you pull out a guy like Mesut uh, Ossil, for instance, and you can put in a, a fit Kaká or a Benzema Higuain situation, or when you consider the the, 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 the vein, rich vein of form that Callejon has been in, in, in the past couple of games, then, you know, I think that the, the drop in fitness in terms of level, sorry, not fitness, the drop in level that Madrid will, will suffer will not be comparable to that of Barcelona. So I think that the peaks and valleys, you know, theory still stands, but maybe it's it's uh, buffered uh, to a greater extent for Real Madrid because of the deep, the deep how deep our squad is and the, the quality that we have in our team. 
That's a really good answer to that question, actually. I, I, I hadn't really thought... I, I always made the argument that Madrid is a deeper squad than Barcelona, but I, I feel like it's hard to... That, that was I never would put that one together so much. All right, well, here, here's a little little minor game we'll play. Uh, so I want you guys to give letter grades for our players, and we'll just go through it pretty quickly. Um, so quick draw, don't think about it, just shoot out, of the, shoot out a letter. Yeah. All right, Iker Casillas. B. B+. plus. And I'm going to go with B plus also. Um, Fabio Quintrao. C plus. B minus. C plus also. Um, and if there's anyone that you want to talk about, like you want to discuss your grade, um, then if there's, for example, a big disparity, then we'll talk about it also. All right. Sergio Ramos. Uh, I give him probably a B plus. B. I liked uh, Sergio Ramos. I thought A minus. Um, Pepe. Ooh, uh, C minus to a D, probably. B minus. See, I I didn't have so much of an issue with Pepe, but I'm I'm not ready to give him a great grade. But I don't think I I didn't have so much of it. I'll give him a B. Uh, and I I I suppose I can uh just drop in with a really tiny bit of analysis on this one, and it's just because uh I, I did actually feel like Pepe was the victim of a couple of misfortunate, like unfortunate, like camera angles and a couple of unfortunate cuts where it looks like he is really, you know, blasting someone or, or hurting them. But in reality, the, the actual, like when you see it from the correct angle, he actually barely touches. For example, Alexis on this very notable call yeah. where he dives in yep. the penalty. Yeah, right. There was one instance where he, it looks like he, he tried to clear the ball and Alexis was able to nick it out of the way. So he, he whiffed on the ball, but he didn't actually touch the player either. But Alexis still rolled around like he had gotten, you know, punted in the stomach, which is probably a normal reaction if you were to get punted in the stomach. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree. But I found his positioning to be pretty weak. I thought he, caught, he ran a position all too often. I thought he had some pretty um, shocking tackles on Messi, um, sort of not necessarily in, in good taste and fair play. And I just think he's he's sort of a become a liability next to Ramos. Uh, mm-hmm. Ramos is just is so smart with his his movement um, when he uses his size and his sort of um, aggression in, in proper moments. Pepe seems to be you know a rush of blood to the head every time the ball is in 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 the Real Madrid half, and I don't think that's that's necessarily a good thing against such a, a calm team like Barcelona. Interesting. All right, um, Marcelo. Uh, I'd probably give him a B. I don't. I don't know if it really had a huge effect on the game. I mean, a B seems fair. Uh, I'd give him a C minus. I thought Marcel's. Uh, what? Well, you can probably credit Pep Guardiola's adjustments to Marcelo not uh, Marcelo being a non-factor on the attacking face, which means he becomes essentially a defensive player. And as a defensive player, he's probably a D. So in a way, it's kind of an upgrade. But you know, I also want to call Marcel out for being a complete jackass. He refused to shake Pique's hand after the match. You know, and um, he is, as far as I understand, the fourth captain of Real Madrid. It's embarrassing you got you know the fourth captain of Real Madrid acting like that. So yeah, I'm giving him C minus. Yeah, I um, you know, I I didn't feel one way or the other with him. If that's true about him, if I didn't see him not shake PK's hand because I turned the game off in disgust right after it ended. Uh, if that's true, that's disappointing and, and, and not great. Because even though, you know, I, I really don't like Gerard PK, I think that he's an absolute, you know, 
insert naughty, you know, noxious word here, but the fact is that you need to show some sportsmanship, and sportsmanship is an incredibly important thing to do, you know, to have in, in after this kind of match, especially, especially when there was no like fight or you know chance, yeah. racist chance. If there's no issues, then you have to at least be a sportsman, even if you don't like them. Uh, so I guess, uh, given everything, I give Marcelo a C, solid. Um, all right, uh, let's do Mesut Özil. Uh, probably a C plus, maybe. I mean, didn't get much of an effect on the game. Uh, I'm giving a C. I'm giving him a C plus as well. Uh, Mrs. Osil's role in, in last Saturday was is one of the most hotly debated topics at the Real Madrid football blog. There are guys who are, you know, saying he had a good game. There are guys who are saying he had a bad game. Actually, I thought he has a, he had a pretty okay contribution. The first 20 uh, minutes when we were doing well, but as the game, the zone of play started to shift away from him, it became more and more irrelevant. And in fact, uh, in the counter-attacking moments that I thought we have, I thought he took that split second a little bit too long to make his decision before he picked out his pass. And it gave Barcelona, you know, the precious seconds to recover the defense. So, yeah, I'm giving it a C. Yeah, and I'd probably stick it with a probably a C plus, just right in the middle. Um, I didn't feel like there was tons going on. Um, but he was very good for maybe a, a couple spurts and then just non-existent otherwise. Um, La Sana Diara. Uh, probably a B plus to an A. I thought he did really well actually, given uh, what he had to work with. I gave him an A minus. I agree with Corey's assessment. I thought he, he was shockingly good uh, last Saturday. I mean. I mean it in a good way because you don't expect Las Gerard to, to play well. <laughs> uh, you usually <laughs> expect, especially when he gets these moments where he thinks he's the he's uh, Zinedine Zidane and uh, none of that stuff uh, last Saturday. He played it simple and yeah, to me he was, he was the best Real Madrid player out there. Uh, I mean, fulfilling his role last Saturday. Interesting. Um, I'll take an A minus also, but I don't think he was the best Madrid player. And we'll get to who I think was the best uh, in the mm-hmm. second. Um, Xabi Alonso. Uh, probably a B. I mean, so I, I'm getting Bs because the players didn't do anything wrong, but they certainly didn't have a huge effect on the game. He's an important player, obviously, but I don't think he had a you know anything to write home about. Just a, a very normal performance for him. So I'm giving him a B minus. Okay, I think that we're all in that range then. I'll, I'll give him a B- minus also, just because I wanted him to stamp his authority a little bit more on the game, and I just didn't mm-hmm. see him doing that. Um, let's do uh, Angel Di Maria. i give him an A+. Plus. I thought he was fantastic. Uh, sorry, I, I'm only giving Di Maria a B+. Plus. I thought he was bright, but um, lacking the final product, uh, it's... It, we've seen a Di Maria who's bright, who's talented before, um, and then we've seen a Di Maria at a few matches before this classical. That's the A plus Di Maria, in my opinion, and uh, this is a, a slightly older version of Angel Di Maria, so just a B plus. Um, I give Angel Di Maria a solid A. He's my best player for Madrid of the match, um, and maybe not even because, even despite some of the issues that he had uh, with that final little cross or, or the shot on goal. 
I, I actually am giving him the, the, this grade because of his work on defense. He was amazing. Mm-hmm. He would be all the way back in the corner, rob a ball, and, and just bolt with it up the pitch and start a counterattack basically on his own. He was great. I, 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 loved, I loved his work. Um, and I do think that we didn't see the best of him. That's why I'm not giving him an A+. Plus. Um, let's do – all right. So now we have our last two to do, uh, and we're probably going to give them slightly different grades. But, so let's do Benzema first. Um, because we know we're going to talk about Cristiano, and it'll be fun to end it on that. So, Kareem Benzema. Probably a B plus. I mean, the finish was great. Um, the movement off the ball and, and linking up with players was great. But beyond that, he didn't have a, a decisive moment, a, a good goal scoring opportunity besides the one he, he finished off well. So I couldn't push for an A. I'm just giving it a B. I thought he played good. I praised him earlier on uh, in the podcast, but I felt that you know he was maybe too spent too much away from the actions to get anything that would be. Okay, I I agree. Actually, um, I think that I give him a B plus also. Um, but and and a lot of this is because. I think that a lot of players blast that that goal scoring chance high, especially in the first twenty seconds of the match. Uh, I think that's a very missable missable chance, even though he was one on one. But it was high, and I, I'm 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 pleased with the finish, and that's why he gets a B plus. All right, guys, Cristiano Ronaldo. Ah uh, boy, uh, C plus. I'm giving him a D. Yeah. I'm super disappointed with him. I am too, but I mean, he did he did things, other things right, but when it came down, the most important moments of the match were his, and he unfortunately wasn't able to deliver. And the thing is that, and I'm going to give him a, a, a oh man, I, I guess I'll give him a C minus because that's the lowest I'd give any Madrid player. Uh, and that's only because you expect so much out of him. So you, I know that if I was thinking about the match in advance and I said to myself, okay, well, Cristiano Ronaldo is going to have two very, like, very comfortable goal-scoring opportunities in this game, uh, I would have signed up for that. I would have signed up to put my the most important uh, moment of the match on Cristiano Ronaldo's <laughs> shoulders. Uh, I, I, I would A lot have. of us would have. I think a lot of us well, you know, you know, you know the interesting part, Dave. In, in the podcast, we didn't get to put up uh, last week. You know, when we were talking about one of the questions you you asked us was if we thought that this would finally be Cristiano Ronaldo's coming up party. If he was going to be the deciding, you know, a very very decisive element to to this game. I mean, in favor of Real Madrid. And uh, I'm my disappointment is so bitter. And I remember my answer is that I don't think that Cristiano will. Ronaldo will be that big a uh, fact, deciding factor. But to me, not only was he uh, not a deciding factor, he was actually the factor, you know, perhaps the factor that cost us the game. Mm-hmm. You know, it cost us maybe, I mean, even if we didn't win the game, it, we, you know, he, we probably would have walked away with the point and, you know, and um, you know, gone up to the Kules and said, hoo-ha, you know, 12, 12 against 12, you still can't beat us, you know. But, you know, he, he was the guy who pulled us down. And that's why I'm so disappointed. Yeah, I, I, I hear that. I, I feel like partially what, what was, what was you know, at stake here was what I saw was a, a major regression from Cristiano because I felt like he was playing so unselfishly this year and, and feeding players. Certainly. So that first chance he had, he side-footed it way past the goal. He could have very easily just pushed the ball into Di Maria's path, and I'm very confident Di Maria would have just, you know, tucked the ball into the corner, and that would have been two nothing. 
Um, and that would have changed the game dramatically. Dramatically. Yeah, that, that right there would have gotten him an A, and it would have probably further justified my A-plus for Di Maria, but it did not happen. And, and that's that's probably the most disappointing thing. Is he went for goal himself, and he missed. And then instead of putting his head down, running back on defense, he just kind of you know, raise his hands in disgust and, you know, it's not his fault that the, the pitch wasn't good enough or the ball bobbled or whatever. It, that, that really, as a fan, you get tired of that after a while. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. Um, I mean, as someone who is very expressive when they play sports, it's, uh, for me, when, I, when I'm complaining like that, it's never about, um, it's almost never about the pitch or anything. It's normally about uh, being frustrated with yourself. So that's pretty much where I see Cristiano. So I don't, I don't hate him. Uh, hate it when he when he makes these things just because I I don't see them as complaining about other things like the pitch or the referee and and more about you know how could he not be just complaining about himself in that play but still yeah he I was not pleased with him at all at all um all right guys well I suppose we should do a very quick preview but I know um we're we're running a little bit short on time let's do a very quick uh maybe two minutes about the Sevilla game uh Corey uh this is very interesting how this game fell. Um, I think it's going to be a, a huge, huge test uh, for, for the Real Madrid team. Uh, Sevilla's not really playing that well right now. Um, they ended up losing um, to Levante this past weekend. Um, but I still think uh, psychologically this might be a very difficult um, sort of test for the team because <laughs> I don't want to say there's like a hangover I'm sure Mourinho's got the, the players whipped up and, and, and ready for this game. Um, but I, I do think that their performance won't be um, up to snuff in this game. And, and just, you know, getting a, a one-goal win would be certainly um, suitable uh, in this case. Yeah. Um, I, 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 would, I would definitely sign up for a one nothing win against Sevilla. It's, it's always terrifying to go into Sevilla to play also. Uh, Mark, you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I just want to maybe put it in parallel. Uh, last last season, after the 5-0, we actually had to face Valencia, and we did play that at home. It's, this, it's a sort of a reverse for playing another tough team, but this time on the road after a classical loss at home. But I agree with Corey, and you, I, and you, were, you, know, you guys say it's probably going to be a tough game. But I do think that the, the players will be up for it. I think that the motivation will be there because, you know, um, this is still, at the end of the day, an opportunity to get a three-point lead over Barcelona. And um, they know that Barcelona are in Japan, and they will be coming back tired after the winter break. So, you know, this is still a golden opportunity. And I think uh, a coach like Mourinho, will, that will not be lost on a coach like Mourinho in motivating the players, and as well as, you know, the captains of the squad, Casillas, Ramos, I think they will, they will know what this means. You know, it's not winning classical, but uh, it might be the second best thing. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's important to remember that if we win against Sevilla tomorrow, we will have a three-point lead heading into the second half. And Mm -hmm. we uh, basically only need to drop uh, two. Barcelona only needs to drop one less point than us to make the second classical essentially irrelevant in the league table. So if we head into that classical with a four- or a six-point lead, we're looking very strong. And that's much more yeah. likely and very helpful for us, <laughs> I know, given our record against Clasico. So it's not over, <laughs> and we don't need to give up on this season, right? No. I don't think so. I don't think so. All right, guys, uh, thanks so much, and we will uh, definitely have uh, more Real Madrid Weekly for you next week 
Uh, and again, if you are someone who owns a web hosting company and would like to host a or, uh, pitch in and help us uh, host this podcast, that'd be wonderful. <laughs> so uh, and drop us a line. Uh, from Gabe, I'm at Managing Madrid, and Corey and Mark at Real Madrid Football Blog. A la Madrid. A la Madrid. A la Madrid. Todo nervio y corazón. Veteranos y noveles, veteranos y noveles, miran siempre sus laureles con respeto y emoción. A la Madrid. A la Madrid. Noble y bélico ha salido, caballero del honor. A la Madrid, a la Madrid, a triunfar en buena lid, defendiendo.